Andrew, hello again. We are back. This is episode two. And it would seem sensible to very much pick up where we left off with episode one. So episode one was a fantastic discussion, I think, about medication, about all things connected to medication. But we touched on it um, when at the very start of your slides, there was this phrase, particularly for adults, and I think with children as well, of a multimodal approach where it's not just medication. It's These things are not panaceas. They're part of. So... Today, I think it's wise that we talk about everything else that we see, we hear, that we've got either written evidence or even anecdotal evidence of people looking towards to to support them. Um, and I think this will raise some very interesting questions. Uh, so let's start with a broad one for you. Okay. What are your thoughts on that then? So if we put meds to one side, we've done meds. Why is multimodal so important from your point of view? Well, we did, we did touch on this last week in thinking about whether ADHD is a low dopamine disorder or something else. And, you know, that, that sort of headline, ADHD is not a low dopamine disorder, I think we probably should flesh that out a bit more. Um, and think about that. And I, I think your experience as a mentor comes in here as well. It's not going to be so much about me showing slides and talking people through science. It's actually going to be us talking about how we work with people with ADHD. I hope anyway. Um, yeah, okay. I'll put my slides away then. Yeah, I, I have yeah, the slide deck so. ready. I'll, I'll, I won't use those then. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, we won't always be turned into slides, but sometimes a visual representation really helps. But I think sometimes a good conversation yeah. about with two people who who are passionate about what they do and how they help people make progress in their life um hopefully will will stimulate some thought for some people um because a diagnosis of ADHD is is it's a it's a point in time isn't it and it's a, a point of change um but it doesn't happen in isolation we don't suddenly like regenerate like doctor who into somebody else we're, you know, we, no, no, absolutely not. No. We, we carry with us all of our life experience of everything that comes with undiagnosed ADHD and and that missed opportunities. The the, the whole reaction to to being given a diagnosis, which for every individual person I've ever given a diagnosis to has been different, um, unique, and usually in response to their experience of of living not knowing that their inattention and hyperactivity could be explained in terms of a, a clinical diagnosis. But I think there's so much there's so much more to understanding ADHD than the clinical diagnosis brings. Um We've talked about emotional dysregulation and how that's woven in and out of, of the uh, diagnostic criteria. Um, and that's very much a topic that comes up in, in clinic for me. People talking about, you know, that was asked this yesterday. What about my emotions? Is there going to be any impact on that? Um, so, so I think... <laughs> We need to bear in mind that there are different models, different ways of seeing ADHD. Um, and I, th I think where we fall down is thinking one of those is right. 
Um, and I think the, the, the NICE guidelines, NICE because it's, it's an acronym, not because it's, uh, not because they're nice. Talking about this multimodal approach is, is as close as we get in, in guidance to, to saying that, that we need more than one approach. Um, you see this across psychiatry, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, a unique phenomenon to ADHD. Um, it's why we have occupational therapists, speech and language therapists, you know, there are a range of professionals that bring different perspectives to the situation. Um, and that, that in combination leads to the best outcomes. You look at studies that compare, you know, throughout psychiatry, there's medication only or medication plus um, a, a talking therapy. And, and usually what happens is the medication plus a talking therapy comes out more strongly in effect than the medication mm -hmm. on its own. And there's a reason for that. And I don't think that's peculiar to ADHD, but I think we, we need to learn from, from our, our understanding and our very, various different perspectives that we need those perspectives that no one person has all of the answers. Yes. But it's not, it's not possible. It's not possible for, for, for one person to say, I know the way and it is this way. We can share information. And I think that's what this podcast is about. It's about giving people points to move on from and, and, and ways of thinking differently about the information that's out there. Um, to, to maximize the chances of, of being the best that we can be. That, that's, that's, I think that's the aim of, of all psychiatrists, nurses, coaches, mentors, therapists. You know, there, there are so many different perspectives that, that, that are trying to do something and they, help, they all take their own approach. And if we as the, the subject of those can draw on all of those. That's what the guidelines are saying is that we need to draw on all of those to get the best outcomes. Uh, and that's there across mental health literature from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've raised already some points here, haven't you? I mean, you, you the, the one thing that's rattling around my head now is there's no one answer. Nobody has the answer because if there was, the answer, much like a phrase you used last week about if it was just dopamine, the meds would be more effective. Mm. If there was one answer, everyone could just follow it and we'd all, all have a massive change and it would be the same for everyone. But that isn't the reality of ADHD because your ADHD on a good day will look completely different to mine on a good day and mine on a bad day will look completely different to yours. And so there can't be a singular answer, can there? No, there can't. And I, it, it, it's, it's a shortcoming of the medical model, I think, that, that medicine tends to reduce complexity down to, a, to its simplest form. Uh, and it's the secret of medicine's success is by making things more simple, we can intervene with them. Yeah. So mm. it, it's not in medicine's interests to think of ADHD as something that is, is so profoundly impacting on, on all aspects of life. Yes, we, we talk in the diagnostic criteria about severe functional impairment, but, but the, the, there's a large amount of subjectivity in that concept. 
you know, what is a, a, a functional impairment? It's horrible language to start with. That's one. But when, mm. when you move past that horrible language, actually, what what does that mean? Does that mean that there there is a, a standard, a normal? That that we all sort of aspire to or think to, um, or or actually is this a, a relative term? This idea of, of being impaired, um, and medicine is is quite seductive in thinking that it's an absolute term. You know, if you've got an infection, you take an antibiotic, and it, and we know that the antibiotic kills the infection; it kills the bacteria that are causing that infection. It's not the same in in psychiatry. Um, we. we we change perspectives. You know, it's, it's the glasses thing. I know you've been adjusting to your very yeah. focals all week. And, you know, you, you <laughs> change you change the way you see through your eyes with, with, by putting these lenses in front, um, and, and that brings you closer to typical sight. Um, yeah. uh, and that's what's happening with ADHD medications. Um, and, and that really, when, when we've achieved an optimal dose of medication, that's when the work begins. Mm. Um, and probably that's sort of more music to your ears because the, the the clinical amongst us would be sort of thinking, oh, well, we've done a good job. We found an opti- optimal medication regime. And mm. actually that is only the start point because then we've achieved as much as we can do with the medicine. That sets the scene for us to then evolve a new way of living. And, uh, and that comes with many challenges, even if that, that treatment response with medication is perfect. And that rarely happens. It can happen, but it rarely happens. But e- even if they, we see marked improvements in attention, reduced hyperactivity, that's an awful lot of change to be dealing with. Isn't and, it? And, and how do we deal with that? Because there isn't a tablet for that. There isn't a tablet for making change comfortable. Change is inherently difficult because we like familiar. I think as humans, not not as mm. the, the, the neurodivergent population. Actually, humans like routine. They like familiar. They like they like to the, to not have the unexpected. Um, and then we come along with these really effective medicines that that lead to the unexpected and lead to this shift in focus. It's not an enhancement of focus; it's a shift in focus. Um, and how do we help people deal with that? Yeah, it's a really. I'm just sat here listening to you, and and so many things are popping up into my head. I love the glasses analogy, but let's be honest, it's why I've got these, and I've already been told, come back and see us in two years because you'll probably need to change your prescription. And yet, how many of us seem to think at the beginning, right? Once I'm on that optimal dose, that's it, done for life. Just just do that, and never think about it again. Well, it. It, in simple terms, it can't be that straightforward, can it? Because what happens if you have a major life change? What happens if you have a major emotional disturbance or or a, a global phenomenon? Let's say COVID strikes again. How many people came to their understanding of their ADHD because we were all shut, locked up in lockdown, right? So we can't just assume that because psychiatry has done its job, there you are, there's your 60 mil, there's your 80 mil, your whatever, that's the end of it. And and I think, yes, while there are other approaches, or other approaches even, like coaching, mentoring, et cetera, that can 
and should, I think, step in at a certain point. I think it's a, a much more sensible approach to start the conversation being wider about it's never done. This isn't a fix. Like you said last week, it's not put a plaster on it. It's not putting your arm in a cast because you've got a broken elbow, leave it for 12 weeks, and then it's, it's healed again. It, it changes. We change. Life changes. Therefore, how our ADHD impacts on our behavior, our concentration, et cetera, is going to change. So when you're asked in clinic, what about my emotions? I think that's a very valid and actually a very astute question for that part of the process because I think most people, me included, ask a much broader question, which is, will this change me? And the answer should be, as we said, I think last week, yes. Yes, it will. And I don't know how. And I can't tell you whether it will be for the better or not at this point, because we've got to find out. And the only person that's got the real evidence on that will be you. And I think that's quite scary as well, because it it doesn't go along with the medical approaches. Most of us think we are putting a pill in our mouth. Oh, well done. It's not, is it? It's, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Um, no, it, 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 it's that it's, it's that sort of critique of those four letters, isn't it? And that last D, it, is it really a disorder as we understand disorder? And what, what does that mean? Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, and those, that word disorder means different things to different people. Um, you know, is, a, is that infection that's treated with antibiotics a bacterial disorder? Um, yeah, that you know, we've got all these preconceptions about what medicine should bring, um, I, and I think psychiatry over the last forty years that I've been aware of psychiatry has evolved in that sense, and that there has been a broadening of understanding that we do need to take different approaches, uh, and there isn't a one size fits all like a throat infection. You know, you could go to the GP and say, I've got a throat infection. And say, oh, I know exactly what to give you for that. It's not like that in, in psychiatry um, the, because psychiatry is about who we are as, and how we are as well as our, our physical form, the, the, the biology in our brains. So last week we talked a lot about biology in our brains, and I said it's, it's not a dopamine disorder. Well, of course there's dysregula- dysregulation of dopamine in ADHD. We see it on fMRI. But that is really reducing the human experience to say that that's all it is. You know, ADHD diagnosis is a recognition of a, a lifetime of struggle, a lifetime of hiding things, um, and that doesn't go away because we dial up someone's focus and concentration with dopamine. Right. You know, but, so you've but, that on but, the we, head. but we see improvements in people's ability to focus, concentrate, um, not not um, be so overactive as a result of the medication. But that's. <laughs> That's a really reductionist perception of what ADHD is. My my life as someone with ADHD is predominantly being someone who doesn't know he's got ADHD. Um, so I've learned lots of things about me in in a social context, thinking I've had one type of brain and I have a very different type of brain. So is it any wonder that there were times when I struggled? Um, no, and I think the question that's popping to my head on the, on that point is going back slightly 
that it's not as straightforward or as simple as it's just a dopamine dis- deficiency. It's not, that's not all that's at play here. And whilst, you know, it plays its part, do you think this, this is part of the reason, reason why there can be so much confusion in the beginning? Because if that's what we're hearing, if that's what we're being presented so so commonly, like we spoke about last week, it's this is this, and actually the information isn't as broad as it needs to be, and it doesn't prepare us for everything that living with that diagnosis of those four letters may mean. That our expectations aren't grounded in what should be reality. Our expectations are too yeah. are too focused on well. If my concentration improves, I'm fine. And actually, no, we've just improved your attention and concentration. It's exactly that the 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 medical model has to reduce complex problems down to things that can have an intervention made. You know, and that's across the board. That's not just in psychiatry. That's that's what medicine does. Um, you know, a, a knee surgeon doesn't. Give great deal of a great deal of consideration to the impact of having a sore knee that led to needing that surgery. Their concern is making sure that they join to the bones and that the the, the, the surgery is um, without infection and all of those sorts of things. They've enough to be dealing with just with that, without thinking about how I was before they put that knee in and what's going to happen afterwards. That's for the physiotherapist to deal with. Yeah. So, so there, there are, there are different roles or different steps along the journey. Um, and I, I don't think it's, it's right to be wholly critical of the medical model. You know, it has its place, but it's quite seductive for us to think because of our our human experience of medicine that that is going to be the the whole answer and it just can't be it just can't be because because yes we we, we're not robots with dials on our heads that can turn up dopamine and there are things that we can do that will uh, enhance dopamine transmission without taking stimulant drugs or or non-stimulant adhd treatments um We've talked about some of those before. We'll talk about more today. But th- that that is a really important part of the journey of making sense of, of this difference that is being diagnosed. Um, I, and I do think it's often missed. It's often missed it's be- because the medications are so powerful and they, they, they really work. Okay. So I, I've got a couple of questions on on the medication based on conversations I see quite frequently and, and have with people. The first thing I'll ask you is this, as a clinician, professionally speaking now, if you had to plot a diagram, should we say, of where different um, – support mechanisms tools may fit in the process so uh, and i'm talking maybe from a diagnosis through to whenever that is for anyone they feel like they've got some kind of a handle on their adhd if we were to say that it logically would start with a clinical intervention and assessment a diagnosis in your practice, what's next for you? What would you typically be recommending? Because I've heard stories of people who were diagnosed 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and three months ago, 
And what what they're told after that initial, yes, it's ADHD, varies so wildly from, here's a book I recommend you go and buy, to there's your prescription, to here's a list of YouTubers. And I will... I sort of understand the intentions there, but I wonder what your thoughts are on that. And what do you, what do you recommend? Okay. Um, you asked me to answer that as a clinician. So I'll answer it first as a clinician and then I'll answer it as a nurse and then I'll answer it as a, a human being. <laughs> so as a clinician, as a clinician, nice guidance tells us first thing you do with an adult who's diagnosed with ADHD is give medication. Why do they say that? Because it is by far the most profound impact that you can have. More bang for the buck. Yeah, you give a medication, we see attention improve, we see hyperactivity reduce. And by removing those core symptoms or reducing those core symptoms, we see quality of life improve. And we do. We, you know, that's, I've done observational studies in clinics about that, and we do see that. Um, and if you're new to treatment, you're more likely to see a stronger response than if, say, you were treated as a child, had a break, and then come back as an adult. Those people don't tend not to see as much of an improvement in quality of life. What can be missing in that journey is the context. So what I try to do as a nurse is to, to explore the history to explain how the coexisting conditions, because more adults with ADHD have a coexisting condition than don't, how do they weave in? How, how, where does that anxiety come from? How did it start? So in summing up a diagnosis, I, you, you know, it's, it's, most of us will have stories about the onset of anxiety in our teenage years. Yeah. So as we become more socially aware, we worry what people think about us and we contain that hyperactivity. We contain the visible signs of ADHD. And by holding that in, instead of expressing it and running around the schoolyard in primary school, by holding it in and not letting people see, we, we, we sort of build up this internal tension which manifests as anxiety. Um, and often helping people put into context their, their life story, I find helps set the scene for the onset of medicines working. And I'm not sure how many clinicians do that, but for me in my journey of understanding ADHD and the reading I've done around ADHD, I think it's important that we respect who we've been when we start making an intervention to change. Because the medical model tells us that it's a disorder, that it's, it's um, a deficit, you know, that all the language of, of things being missing. Um, and there's so much more to it than that. And that comes from these other perspectives, which is why I'm answering the question as a nurse. Then as a person, I do that because that's what I wanted. That's because it's the thinking I've done. It's, it's the experience I've gained over the years of, of what people ask for, what people come back with at that second and third appointment as they're sort of adjusting to the impact of medication. Um, and that, that's very much founded on a relationship. 
You, you have to have a working relationship. That's not something you can read on a computer screen. It's a, it's about a, a human connection and a dialogue. Um, and the, the the pressure in healthcare is 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 to deliver um, time limited interventions that that produce a, an evidenced outcome which is a, is, is a valid thing, but there is, there is evidence for providing that, that, that guidance, that, that, that coaching, that mentoring, that support. Um, and I, th I think probably we should go on to talk about that, that language because people might not know the difference between a therapist, a coach and a mentor. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm wondering also whether this is a, an opportune moment because you, you, you talk about time sensitive in terms of NHS and you talk about uh, the pressures. And so um, in the, in the trailer for episode one, obviously there was a short clip from the documentary that came out earlier this year. And, and that sparked a lot of conversation about how, what an appointment should look like. Now, just from your point of view, do you think that's been useful that it's it's actually started conversation about so, what does a good appointment or what should an appointment look like as well as the the after care? As as someone who spent many months working with the BBC on this, my initial reaction to that broadcast was, oh, we we've missed a lot of what we explored. Um, you know, you, yeah, I was on there. I was on at the beginning and I was on at the end, maybe 10 seconds in total. Mm -hmm. And I was filming for three hours. And we talked about the the intricacies of the the economics of ADHD, for example. It was completely, it wasn't mentioned because it doesn't make half hour, half an hour primetime television show. And I, th I think that's, that that... That is the, the nub of the issue here, that often you, you just see the headlines. Uh, and that show was very much about a, a particular headline. Um, and even in those 10 seconds that I contributed to what was broadcast, they cut off half of what I said. So they, they, they cut me mid-sentence. Um, so I, I think you put it on the trailer last week. It was, um, you know, the, 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 on the hour every hour. But what was cut off was, but that was two years ago. I don't know how they operate now. But that's, that phrase was removed. And I'm sure that, well, I, I, I know because at the, at the um, World Federation Conference, that there were tensions, shall we say. Um, I, I, the ADHD 360 will be upset by that. But that was my experience two years ago when I was working there, that I, I went in at nine o'clock and I saw three people, had a lunch break, and then I saw three people in the afternoon. And, uh, and doing six diagnostic assessments in a day is not humanly possible because I've tried it and it, 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 it just can't be done. Um, the, it's too much of an intense experience. Um, I, th I think the idea that an ADHD diagnosis can be reached in... 45 minutes to an hour has been challenged and that's been positive. Um, but there, there, there were so many reactions to, to that program uh, and they were reactions by people who hold different perspectives, applying different models. Um, 
and I think we need we need to think about all of those different approaches uh, and what their place is. That, that actually we can't, and, and and that's why I you know why why I've joined you in this podcast uh, and yeah. why divergent support it because I think you know with you as a, an established mentor who 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 makes good sense when you talk about living with ADHD. Um, you know that that's that sort of partnership working is so so important if we get into oh your model's no good because it does this or your model's no good because it does that and it it disrespects that's not helpful that doesn't progress the care of people with adhd it doesn't progress the lives of people with adhd there are elements in in all the different perspectives that that are valuable um there, there isn't one straightforward answer um but equally, you know, you, you can't diagnose ADHD in 45 minutes, um, even, even with a, a huge sort of preamble of, of questionnaires, which, which most ADHD services do to try and, uh, and at least get those basic facts across first. You know, what, what, can, what information can you exchange in any conversation with a stranger in 45 minutes? You're certainly not going to know their whole life story and how the, those, those events impacted on their, their, their development, who they are. You know, there, mm. there are key events in my life that, that changed who I am. Mm. I reacted to them um, before I understood I had ADHD, you know, and that's, mm. that's life. Um, and we all need that guidance. You know, we're social creatures. That, that's, that's the, the human condition is, is to be social, to be connected. Um, and those connections can bring tensions. And it's, it's how we manage those tensions that, that sets us apart. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think, yeah, there, there are lots of different perspectives and people bring different parts of value to, to, to different people's stories you know what one person's solution is another person's nightmare i think i said that last week as well it, you know it, yeah, it, but you're it's, right. it's not it's not straightforward it's it, it's a personal journey and, mm. and as a clinician i come in with medications and that's you know that has the most profound effect in the short term but that you know if that doesn't have meaning in someone's life then they're probably not going to continue to take the medicines no and I think a lot of people do sort of disengage with ADHD healthcare because there isn't that meaning. There's just, here's a drug that boosts your attention. What does that mean to me? What does that mean to 14-year-old me sitting gazing out the history teacher's window rather than yeah. listening to what he was saying about Hitler? It, it doesn't mean anything. It, uh, uh, and it's got to be part of a journey. Um, so, so I think the... A lot of the the talking supports and therapies have a a, a very important place in in cementing the revelation that there's this diagnosis. Um, I I do think so. I I speak at there's an annual nurses conference about ADHD, and I I usually speak at that. And last last year, well, this year, um, I, I spoke about what it is to be an ADHD nurse and, and, and how we can use our skills to, to improve care. Mm. 
no, ADHD's taken my train. No, no, well, that's important to me. I just, here's something I, I think is interesting in what you said. You used the phrase, some people disengage with healthcare in terms of ADHD. Now, this is a conversation I see quite a lot, and, and typically people on, on this side of the fence I'm about to mention are incredibly passionate about this. And it's one of a few options. Either they believe that their ADHD isn't quote-unquote severe bad enough to warrant medication, okay? They have preconceived ideas and notions about what medication may do, which comes back to that question of what have you been told in the first place, but they are fearful and don't engage. Or what I seem to see is they started medication very often maybe didn't even complete titration because they didn't get the profound effects that they thought, whatever that was. And I wonder whether the perception of what that might be was realistic and then disengage. Now, typically in amongst those three groups, they are the people who then are very evangelistic, very passionate about the other things that they do that help them. And I think it's really important to bring that up now because in context, what they're actually doing is right. They're looking for alternatives. They're looking for different ways to support themselves, whether it's through their hobbies or exercise or meditation, or we'll touch on lots of things. Looking for those things is important. But what always concerns me is that it, it seems to be that they are diametrically opposed to the concept of medication. I have been told nobody needs to take medication. Oh, medication's a scam. No, the, I was actually told online a few weeks ago, there is no such thing as medication for ADHD, which took me a while to process because I kind of looked at my bottle of pills and went, that's a really good magic trick then, because I don't know what that is, right? But but I, I sort of get it. This is somebody who's found their alternate path and believes that, oh, well, that's not necessary. Now, again, put whichever hat on you want to answer this one, I suppose. Do you think that people end up more in that camp that, that are so opposed? Because again, like we've said, perhaps the information to begin with, wasn't clear enough. The expectations yeah. weren't right. The, the, there's a number of reasons. It, 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 as with all of this, it's it's, the, it's multifaceted. Uh, yeah. And yes, yes, there is that element of if the the medication isn't set up, the expectations aren't set up correctly, then when it doesn't do whatever the person expected and it does what it's going to do, because that's what happens, um, you get this sort of, oh, that's not what I wanted it to be. You know, if you think ADHD is is like a sore throat and you, you take some stimulants and, and it goes away, then you, you're going to be disappointed by the effects of medication. But there's another group as well, Matt, and that is the group who in all good faith, engage in services, work with services, um, and encounter endless barriers. 
So the configuration of services, how those services are delivered, has a profound effect on whether people continue to use them. The best example I can give is people being discharged for missing two appointments. So your standard in, in NHS provision is if you miss two appointments, you won't get a third. That's across the board. Dentists, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a response. But given our symptom cluster, you would think, you would think that the people designing these services, and I've been one of those, would say, actually, we need a bit of wiggle room here. We need a little bit of flexibility. You know, it, it's like building um, a, a lab that builds wheelchairs on the top floor of the, the tower. You know, <laughs> you, it, if the service is configured such that you can't use it, then you're not going to use it. No. If the, uh, just as much as if the medication is set up to be something it isn't, then you're going to say, well, that doesn't do what you said it would do. So, you know, it, it, people vote with their feet. They do with what they, they use. We use what, what mm. we feel is effective for us. Um, but if you don't know what to expect, then you, you often will be disappointed. Um, and that's not, that, you know, that's, that's life, isn't it? If, if you know what's coming, you, you're much less likely to be disappointed when, it happens. Yeah, I think you're right, and 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 it's interesting. You, you say I'm being discharged after two appointments, Mike. I'm just saying, there were so many, there were so, so many structural many. barriers like that. that uh, you know, um, I, I could give you a list of examples of, of that sort of thing, but but where yeah. where barriers are put in place, structural barriers are put in place that are aligned so closely to. Um, <laughs> To the, the difficulties that they're alleging to support, you know, yeah, it, it, it's like um, often in schools you'll see a whole list of things that can get you on in detention or on a report card. Um, yeah, one school I went into, they had a list of ten. If you do this, you'll be in detention. If you do that, you'll be on on report. And of those ten things, nine of them were core symptoms of ADHD. Oh wow! May as well just sign up for a weekly detention then. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, and that that is why ADHD isn't just a low dopamine disorder. The yeah. the, the the disability is, is about how society sort of responds to those those challenges as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, I, I, I and that's that's improving. That. You know, the, the 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 diversity agenda is is improving and. Um, it, it, it's improving things and that understanding that we are different and we should we should celebrate that rather than than all aim to be the same mm. you know yeah that, that, no, that's a shift that. that's a culture shift across our lives isn't it you know it's yeah. very much when i was yeah. at school you, you you're gonna be this you go for this um and kids are still getting taught that now you know you've got to get above this grade in gcse if you want to have any chance of of a positive life well not necessarily i can resit you know there, there are all sorts of ways around but but this, you're somehow deficient if you don't leave school at 16 with this clutch of gcse's above us a, a grade four um and and that's not the case often that yeah, people leave school without those they leave school without those grades because the school system was deficient yeah yeah well my, my you know my youngest son is a prime example of that he's 17 um was home educated for four and a half years because 
infant junior school just didn't work for him. Excuse my phone going off. That should have been on silent. That was professional because um, school didn't work for him. Um, and then went back to school in year 10, suffered terribly again with bullying, was at college for a year doing animal care and seemingly doing well. And then as his anxiety grew this year, lasted all of, I think, six weeks at college before Catherine, my wife, and I spoke with him and said, I don't think college is set up for you. It's not that you're not, you want to be here, but this college can't actually support you because he's, we, we describe him as part of the missing middle. He doesn't present extremely enough one way or the other. Autism or ADHD, he's, he's, he's just a challenge. They don't know how to deal with him. And he gets overwhelmed. So here we are with a 17-year-old, pulled out of college, home educated again, start questioning what it means and is it his ADHD and everything. And in a very random conversation, he's a typical 17-year-old for a lot. He's a gamer up in his room now gaming. Doesn't want to design games. Doesn't want to make games. Doesn't want to code games. Plays them for his friends, but he will talk about them endlessly. And I mean, like most people, hyperfix that endlessly. And he was talking to us about the Game Awards coming up, and he was very passionate. And I just happened to say, you know, you make a great journalist. This is gaming journalism. This is using what you're good at, this passion, to inform other people. Within four hours, he'd secured his first interview with somebody who'd just got a world record speed run on a new on a platform game, which he's currently editing to publish with the the developers of the game. And I take great comfort in that and pride because he's a prime example of the education system isn't set up for him. It's not that he's not clever or bright or passionate or able. It's that the system didn't allow him to feel those things or, or display those things. Sat in his bedroom, getting an interview, publishing it, you know, and he's beaming again. And I think this is the, 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 that part of the conversation you spoke about. We have to, we have to remember our history when we come to diagnosis. We have to remember who we've been because who we are might be slightly different, but it's important. Um, so therapies then, or, or not therapies, that's the wrong word, alternatives. So if we put the medication and, and, and the clinical side, we, we see lots of people, services, um, alternative provision for those of us with ADHD desire to help. Now, chief amongst them is probably ADHD coaching. Um, there are lots of different coaches out there. Um, and I think we need to have a, a bit of a touch point on what is coaching? Why is it known to work? What's it rooted in? Um, same thing goes for sort of what I do in terms of mentoring and why perhaps is that different? Um, and then we've got things like, what about counseling? What about therapy? Where might that fit into it? So if we start maybe with, with, with the more and dare I use that phrase again, clinical of the four. If we start with, say, therapy, in your experience of the, the, the clients you've worked with, when is it you feel therapy is something that's worth exploring and why? It's about thinking what therapy is, really, isn't it? It's, it's, it's 
it's it's thinking about that that path rather than a different path. So so therapy is looking back into that that journey that you've had and looking at the 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 challenges and the harms that have been done as a result of if it's going to be a, an ADHD focused therapy as a result mm. of the challenges that you met because of inattention and hyperactivity and impulsivity and how that shaped your development. That's what therapy is about. It's, it's about exploring how you reacted to things um, and, and deciding with the benefit of hindsight whether or not that was how you would react now. Right. That, that's the journey of therapy is, is recontextualizing with the benefit of hindsight. I think that's, you know, reasonable sort of explanation of what therapy is. But there are a range, again, there are a range of models, you know. Um, so cognitive behavioral therapy gets a lot of, of um, text in, in the guidance, um, which probably comes from the the spread of cognitive behavioral therapy in addressing things like anxiety and depression, those common mental health problems. So we've got this experience as a society that the going to a cognitive behavioral therapist and changing the way you think will change the way you feel. That's what cognitive mm. behavioral therapy is. It, if you challenge those, those automatic thoughts, those assumptions that, that are at the core of who you are because of what you've been through, you can change how you feel um and, and feel stronger so so that's what cognitive behavioral therapy brings um as a clinician i always prefer people to do that after medication if they're going to have medication because if your thoughts are diffuse and um you're distractible you're going to find it more difficult to use your thoughts to regulate your emotions mm. So by first stabilizing the inattention, we then set the foundation to, to build and reflect on that journey that you've been through. Um, and in a good ADHD clinic, there'll be an element of that. You know, I've already hinted towards an element of that in setting the scene and expectations for medication. Yeah. It's, it's a kind of, a, it is a, a kind of cognitive behavioral intervention in that it's changing the understanding to impact on the emotional response to whatever changes. Um, so th that's sort of where, what what the guidance sort of sets as the gold standard for for therapy. But there are other therapies as well, um, and, it, and it goes the, the idea of using those goes back to the idea that we are not ADHD. We are someone who whose cognition can be characterised by those four letters. Yeah. But though those four letters don't happen in isolation, that, that we have developmental experiences. You, you hear a lot about trauma and, and growing up with, with a neurodivergence. Well, yeah, damn right, it's traumatic because you think you're one thing and you're another thing. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes something like an integrative psychotherapy where you go back to the child and you nurture the child um, yeah. can, can be really helpful um, because the child made childish and incorrect assumptions about who they were and how they were yeah. without that understanding that, that there was this difficulty that 5% of the population have. Um, so going back and, and, and unpacking that and, and looking after the child that got left behind 
the child that said, oh, well, if you think I'm going to be that guy, then I might as well be that guy because you treat me like that, whether I'm behaving that way or not. So, you know, I'm just going to live up to the, the plate of the role. Uh, mm-hmm. See that a lot in, in clinic. A lot, a lot of young men sort of come to us it, it, it's having exactly that story. Um, so, so there's... You know, psychotherapeutic interventions can help with with the trauma that's caused as a result of growing up with that that difference and not knowing and nobody around you knowing. Um, counseling, ten, well, counseling's less directive. So things like integrative psychotherapy and cognitive behavioral therapy use use a particular model, a particular understanding yeah. of. How, how our thoughts, feelings, and actions relate to one another, whereas counselling is a bit different. Um, so counselling tends to be non-directive. There, there, there isn't sort of a, uh, an underpinning model that, that, that you guide someone through. If, if you change this thought, then this feeling will happen. It's, it's a more exploratory um, sort of walking alongside someone to, to ask, ask pointed questions to guide someone to their own revelations about what's going on and, and their, their experiences. Um, so, so the, the, those are the, the therapies, the talking therapies as such. And then we, then I, I suppose we can move on to sort of the, the more, the more supportive structured things that probably you're more of an expert on than I am. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. So, I mean, chief amongst the two, I suppose, are these two words that we'll hear: coaching and and mentoring. So, um, and I'll put this this uh, sort of link uh, or a link to this information in the description. Broadly speaking, um, the definition of mentoring is someone who shares their knowledge, skills, and or experience to help another develop and grow. And a coach is someone who provides guidance to someone on their goals and helps them reach their full potential. Now, if you take those two statements as, as they read and think about them in terms of ADHD, I think it's a really interesting difference and it's an important difference. I see lots of people uh, who take the services of a coach on board who are professionals, they're in a professional world, they're already in, in, in the workplace, and their ADHD, the, the challenges their ADHD presents, they feel is holding them back, is making, whether it's progression or promotion or, or being taken seriously, whatever it may be, difficult or a challenge. So they seek the services of a coach, typically someone who, um, and some of the best coaches uh, that I know of are people who've come from a business background, who've done other styles of coaching, who've trained uh, as professional coaches and, and had a breadth of experience in coaching, who typically have then, like us sat here now, come to their own realization that they have ADHD and are then able to study ADHD and layer on what it means to think and behave in an ADHD way onto their coaching knowledge and sort of intertwine them so that when when person A says, I'm struggling with all the challenges presented by my executive function in the workplace, and I think it's holding me back, they've got that business experience of, well, what does that mean in the workplace? Who's that going to affect? And also, here are some some strategies 
some tools, some techniques that typically are proven to have helped other people. And a good coach, um, I think a, a lot of people have said this to me in the past, a good coach and a good mentor never tells. They, they, they help guide. So typically we know our answers. Sometimes we just need help. So I think a good coach for me, uh, and as I say, the ones I know, have, have done several things in their past. So they've got experience professionally. Um, in the workplace. So if they're talking about supporting people in the workplace, they've coached in the workplace, okay? Or they've coached in some kind of a professional capacity. And then in terms of their ADHD and and other knowledge, what they've done is spent some time during their own journey of understanding of ADHD, learning, researching, working with lots of other people, who also have ADHD to understand what shifts in their current thinking, in their models they may have used in the past, they might need to apply. Because it's fair to say the standard models of coaching might not work for somebody having a particularly bad ADHD day, week, month. Um, We can then take that a step further. And there are coaches now, executive coaches and executive ADHD coaches who are women who specialize in working with women. And again, this is the topic we'll do separately, women who are perimenopausal and menopausal. And so they've got that extra layer of understanding of, okay, during your monthly cycle, how does this change your ADHD? And therefore, how does that impact your work? So coaching as a, as a model uh, uh, as a tool, if you like, I think is incredibly valuable um, when the person has the experience to to deliver it confidently. So let let um, me clarify something. Let me clarify something. Yeah, go for it. Um, my turn to ask you questions now. Go for it. <laughs> so it, it, it seems seems like the, the what you've just said is is coaching is is. It's almost like the counselling of, of the talking therapies, you know, that, that it's at the softer end, it's inductive, it draws out the strengths that someone has and builds on those, and a coach will bring in their experience. Is that maybe right? Maybe mentoring more fits that. For me, mentoring is softer, If to use that terminology. I think coaching okay. tends to have... If you've if you've been professionally trained as a coach, so the difference is you can study coaching, you can be professionally certi- um, certified, and you can you can have accreditations as a coach through ADCA or, or various other institutions as a business coach. You, you, that doesn't exist for mentoring. Mentoring is in this world, particularly ADHD, it's a bit it's softer. It's more. I suppose the way I describe it when I talk to my clients is it, it's it's based on my experience which which I'll you know I'll touch on in a minute but coaching has more guiding principles in place which are I suppose a bit like where you talk about therapies leaning towards CB uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectal behavioral therapy different models coaching tends to have those kind of frameworks to draw upon um which then help people achieve those goals in particular where mentoring differs for me um, and, and when I, whenever I speak to a new client, what I, what I try and explain to them is I can't tell you anything. 
I can't tell you how to do, how to feel, how to change anything. A, I don't have the right. And B, they're not my answers to have. But because I have been unofficially, and by unofficially, I mean without being paid, mentoring people since about 2005, there's this breadth of experience and conversations I've had over those years of listening to other people, working with other people in lots of different scenarios, adults, children, professionals, out of work, in work. And I now work with people going through recovery and addiction and all sorts of different sort of areas. I can hear what they say and I'm able to say, ah, but I've, I've, I've come across something similar to that before. I've, I've heard someone else going through that. I've gone through that before, similar. And here's what I'm hearing. Am I right? And here's what I know worked in the past for me or someone else. And I often describe it as when I'm in a session, I give people sort of tools to try while I'm with them. If you were to try X in that situation, how would it feel? What do you think might happen? No? Okay, what about Y? And I let them sort of model things with me in the safety of a session before they decide, okay, I'll go away and try that. Um, and I think that's, that's important because there's a – what I notice as a mentor is a lot of the questions I get are initially, is it just me? Does everyone do this? And how do I make this stop? But the, the, those are sort of the most common things, these frustration-based. It's driving me mad or it's driving my partner mad or I'm struggling with this. What I'm able to do is a lot of it initially is empathy. You know, I always think I've done my job well if somebody says, I actually feel heard. I feel like I've been heard and a good coach should feel, I feel like I have been validated. You, this isn't just me. The next step for me, mentoring is great. Now you feel that you're not on your own and it's not just you. How can we now give you some, some empowerment or some agency over what to do next? Now, sometimes that's how do you talk to other people? Sometimes that's how do you talk to yourself? Right. It's it's what are you saying to yourself about your ADHD? What are you thinking when you wake up and get out of bed? You know, and and then we'll cover all the usual topics of, of why don't I sleep very well? Why don't I exercise? Why don't I do? Is it just me? It's for me, mentoring is listening, sharing experience. And and 90% of it is helping people feel heard. And, and, and them coming to the point of, ah, uh, do you know what? I needed to talk that out loud with someone I trust gets it, who's not going to judge me, who's not going to judge my ADHD or say, well, that's because, to then feel comfortable with an answer. Um, so mentoring is, I think, the softer of the two. But again, I, I still had massive imposter syndrome about, charging for mentoring and amongst everything else I do because ultimately it's a lot of responsibility. I'm taking people's money off them. You know, we're in a cost of living crisis as we're told. And so I've got a responsibility to be upfront. You know, if I don't think I should or can work with somebody, I'll tell them. 
If I think that we're not getting anywhere, I will say, I think this is maybe not my my area of expertise. This sounds more like coaching. It sounds more like counseling. It sounds more like therapy even, which I've done because there are occasions where I'm kind of, this is, this is getting out of my remit. It wouldn't be very ethical for me to carry on taking your money to do this, but I'm here if you decide to. And when you come back, does that make sense? It's that thing of, I want it to work for everyone. I'm not in it to make money and just run. Do you know that a lot of what you've just said, I was thinking, you know, Matt, that's just what a good nurse would do, given the time. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about weaving in some of that in setting expectations and managing response in clinic when looking at medication. But actually, a lot of what you were saying there resonated with me. And I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, but Matt, that's what a good nurse does. That's what a good psychiatrist should do. Um, so, so there's something about what what a good something is, the, the a, a good therapeutic support, a good a good ally, really, isn't it? It's, it's about being an ally. It's about being, irrespective of which model you ad, you adopt, it, it's feeling that there's a connection, that that someone is listening to you, that you're being heard, and that that they're respecting your experience so as as the yeah. the service user uh, i suppose yeah. is, is probably the best cover all yeah. name yeah, you right. know um so so th- there are themes for for all there are different models this conversation seems to be leading me to the idea that that there is something that that, that we can say that defines what a good adhd supporter is mm. And I very much agree with what you say about it. It's 90% feeling heard. The problems that I've encountered in my practice are where people have felt I haven't listened. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's the same for you. Where that relationship breaks down, for for the best of intentions, we've tried to listen and it's it's gone yeah. wrong. We've we've made an yeah. assumption somewhere and left someone behind. Yeah. Uh, and whether that's coaching, counselling, CBT, yeah. prescribing a medication. There's something about feeling heard and not left behind, that you're actually an active partner in in the work that's being done that is so important. It is. And I think also from the softer skills side, so the mentoring and coaching, I think for me, I started with the, the mindset that I know I'm not going to work with people forever. Some people might have one session. Some people might have 10 sessions. Some people might have fewer or more. That's up to them. And when I'm asked, well, how many sessions do I need? I don't know. You'll know. You'll know when I'm not providing any more value to you. That's not mm. for me to tell you. That's why, you know, I don't, I don't sell in packages or buy a number of sessions. I don't think it's fair. You, you pay, you book, you have your session, you decide. But I think it's very important that this choice, or rather that choice, is purely in, and to use that term, the service user's hands. Yes. They know when something has worked. And typically it's when they walk out of the office or they hang up from that call and they think, yes, that helped. The day they think, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe it's time to say, okay, I need to look for someone else. There is no harm in that. There is, I don't take that strangely as somebody that suffers with, you know, RSD, 
I never take that personally because I know that that's logical. It makes sense to, you know, to, to accept that. Um, it, it's almost an, ev- an evolution, and it, it, it could be seen as a success that someone's saying, yes. you're not right for me anymore. I came to you because I thought you were right, and you have been right, yeah. but now you're not. So something's changed that means yeah. that what I came to you originally for, you've actually resolved, and I may still yeah. have challenges, but you've yeah. met the brief that I set you. I think and it's okay question- to say that's done. <laughs> you're right, but I think there's a question that I... I- I always ask, and I'm sure most do, but I think it's important at the start of working with somebody is, where are you in your journey so far? Are you are you waiting for assessment? Have you had a diagnosis? Are you in titration? Are you on a working dose? What have your experiences of that been so far? And I tend to always preface it by going, I'm not a clinician, but it's going to sound like I'm asking you very clinical questions because I need to know where they are in that process. Is their dose doing what they thought it would do? And I ask that question, if they're taking meds, what was your expectation when you started? What's it doing for you now? Because I know that if I start with somebody on day one of them taking meds, in three weeks, they'll be presenting completely different. In six weeks, they'll be presenting completely different. And I will have different people in front of me thinking, reacting, feeling differently, and probably asking different questions. So if I don't know that at the start, and I'm not always checking that information, and whether that, you know, whether I'm a coach or a counsellor or a therapist, if if that's not taken into account, we're missing vital information that this is fluid, this process of understanding ADHD changes. So, so actually, it's the same as medication, actually. You, you you set out what you're you're hoping for. Um, maybe have a rough idea of what the journey is going to be, or explore that journey together. Yeah, and then say, "Hey, we've arrived." Yeah, and that might not be, you know, your your ADHD is resolved because that's not what we're aiming for. But no, no. but the, the, there's something about whether you're a psychiatrist or a mentor it, it it's about setting out the setting the scene setting the goals making a plan and, and getting to that point and and not saying when you reach that point oh well we've we've achieved everything we set out to but actually i we we, we haven't succeeded no because no, there are still problems because because life changes you know yeah. there, there, there are does. challenges along the way yeah. um and, and and things like covid happen and yeah 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 so it's, I, it, you're right and it's again it goes back to we said this at the start i've had clients who've had major life events in the time scales that i've been working with them and either it's a case of let's pause for a while and you just deal with that adhd aside you just go and deal with that and when you're ready to come back and then we'll see how you're thinking feeling what what you need and 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 does it change you know there's there's nuance to it interestingly though and i suppose this is a a a lead on one of the things i know i get asked in mentoring an awful lot and i know some of my my friends who who are coaches do is what else should i be doing to help my ADHD. What else can I do to help my ADHD? Which I always think is a, you know, it's an interesting question. <laughs> You're sat there paying me money for me to give you answer and you want me to now tell you what else should you spend your money on particularly. So it does lead this thing into whether it's supplements or changing diet. 
or or talking about sleep or these kind of questions crop up uh, an awful lot. So um, I suppose what's interesting for me is I have a list of the things I hear day in, day out, week in, week out that people in all camps, whether they're pro-meds, not pro-meds, on the fence with meds or not, will typically mention when they say, oh, well, I've heard that this helps. Um, So I think a good place to start is the supplements route because every week there seems to be a new supplement that I see advertised and it's it's a new power sort of concoction and and whether it was um, what they called. Mushroom, uh, not magic mushrooms. What are they? There's mushrooms being advertised all over Instagram, and I can't remember. The people will know what I'm on about. A particular type of mushroom that apparently is a lion's mane. Lion's mane, that's the one. Thank yep. you. Yes, I knew it looked like a right. So lion's mane was supposed to be the new big thing and seems to have vanished. Right? There are lots and lots of supplements. There are some things that crop up in terms of vitamins and minerals that seem always to be recommended as well. So. The one I hear, and I hold my hand up, I've challenged it and gone, but oh, the only evidence I've seen is in relation to kids. Um, Omega-3. Every day somebody says, if we take nothing else with ADHD, we should take an Omega-3 supplement of some kind. Is that something you agree with? And if so, why? Okay. I'm not going to answer that question, <laughs> but, 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 but I'm going to answer it more broadly. Um, so omega-3 is, is a, a, an oil that we, that we get from, from certain foods, oily fish principally, but there, there are other sources. Um, and it, it, it's not as widely available in our diet as, as other um, nutrients. Um, and there are lots of studies. Um, so there are studies in schizophrenia, as much as there are in ADHD, um, that show that supplementing with omega-3 um, has an impact on brain function. Um, the, by giving the brain what it needs to maintain itself, you see better, better um, brain function. Right. And, and that's what omega-3 is bringing because it's not widely in our diet. Uh-huh. And that, so, so it, you know, it, if you live in, let's say you're an Eskimo and you're pulling oily fish out of the ice every day, you're not going to need to take omega-3 because you've got oily fish coming out of the, out of the sea every day. Um, and, and this is the case for a lot of supplements. This is, you know, they, they are supplements. Why is it called a supplement? Because it's a supplement to your diet. Right. Yeah. So if there is a deficiency in your diet, supplementing it with a pill will help because you're addressing that deficiency in nutrition. Right. So it's not that omega-3 is good for ADHD. It's good for brains. Gotcha. Therefore, Um, and not everyone can afford this, but I'm just saying would the obvious answer be that's the job of a nutritionist? Go get tested. Nutritionist says you're deficient in X. Those are the things you take in a supplement. But knowing that they're not specific to ADHD, they're specific to you. Yeah. 
Because I think a lot of the time it's an article, it's a Facebook post or an Instagram or whatever, and it's that everyone. Or if you've got ADHD, you need lion's mane or whatever. And I always look and go, how do you know? How do you know everyone will benefit? How do you know everyone with ADHD will benefit if they take this? That seems very broad to me. But I understand not everyone can afford a, a nutritional check or a Zoe app or whatever. But, you know, th- that's the question, I suppose. Is, is it not a bit too much of a sweeping statement to say everyone? Something it's, like it's, Omega-3, we know, because there's research then. Yeah. So, so Omega-3 sits outside of that. Um, but but the others don't really, because largely things are available in our diet. Um, there's quite a lot of magnesium in your diet, so long as you're, you're eating a healthy, balanced diet. But magnesium supplementation, if it's not there, will help. Okay. Um, I live in the north of England, and um, the doctors say all of us should take vitamin D supplements. And probably it's true in the south as well. You know, we yeah, live in yeah. a gloomy country. The, you know, it gets yeah. dark at, at three o'clock in the afternoon at this time of year, um, and, and we synthesise vitamin D by sunlight on our skin. Yeah. But when I go out in Newcastle, I'm not seeing everybody walking around with rickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> not all geordies have rickets because it's dark up here you know so so there's so there's, so there's there's an element of of yes it will have an impact if your diet is is lacking but what sort of an impact you know i don't take a vitamin d supplement but i am I, my legs are straight <laughs> you know and it, it and it, it it's about what how much difference so yes it will make a difference it's that you can say it'll make a difference because you're not quantifying how much difference is it going to make and that's where these claims you know you can say you know this will do x y or z but what's that actually bringing to the party you know yeah my my bone density might be slightly um more dense in a sunnier country but i'm not a a, a mass of wobbling jelly because i live in the northeast of england so are it, we going back to the point of <laughs> expectations and also that most of these Absolutely. will in some way have a placebo effect as well because we believe it's doing something when we take it absolutely absolutely um you know, I wrote an essay on this once, and you know, ask ask anyone about chocolate. Does chocolate boost your mood? So I did a full literature search on that, and no, it doesn't apparently. But I, I know in my house there are certain points in the month where getting a bar of chocolate wins brownie points. <laughs> It's just a safety measure. Uh, yeah. yeah, but but that, you see, it, it's about about it being more than just the biology again, isn't it? That yeah. there's more to it. The, the, yeah, all right. The, the the biology of chocolate doesn't have any impact on mood, but I know when I bring that bar of chocolate in, that it's going to be met well and it's going to give a lift. Right. Okay. Which then takes us a step forward from st- uh, from stim- from supplements to some of the other things. Right now, when we did this sort of the the pilot, if you like, for this, and we spoke with uh, Richard Peach, who is a coach, about other things. 
to to help boost mood, etc. It was interesting that he and I were quite, you know, opposite ends of a scale. Um, I used myself as more of a, uh, a human guinea pig and will try and it once or twice to see if it has an effect, whereas he's kind of like, mm. so, you know, to put that in context, Richard is a big fan of model making and airfix and model railways, and, and he was saying that, that helps him on many, many levels. It means he can jump from project to project. He can dip in and out of things, but he can lose himself in painting a figure and that makes him feel good. That's great. Yeah. If I tried to do that, I'd lose the brush. I'd knock the paint over. I'd, I'd, I'd go outside the lines and I'd feel worse. What I do instead is get in a tub of cold water or have a cold shower or, or do something like that. Now, again, the interesting conversation around this, I think, is should any conversation about what what people may want to look at be prefaced with this phrase of some people may get some benefit some of the time rather yeah. than thou shalt all do yoga or paint models or go bungee jumping because it's the most dopamine intensive thing. Oh, it is. is there a bit of, done of, one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. I know. I've done two, actually. Right. But, but does that make sense to me? You know, because again, totally. I see these things of you should. But what if, if, if you do breath work and if you do Wim Hof method, you won't need medication for ADHD? No. You might feel that you don't. But I do both of those on a regular basis, and I still need medication. So who, which one of us is not right here? The answer is neither of us. Our experience of the same protocols are different. Just Completely. the same four letters, right? It, that always seems logical to me, and I say you agree, but you must have seen this as well, where it seems like it's dictum. Ah, oh, well, if you just do this. Is it not about personal choice, experimentation? I suppose keeping your own data to a degree, you know? So so a, a wise man once ironically said to me, never give unsolicited advice. And I think there's a lot of advice out there which... You know, I, I think if you go looking for it, then you're soliciting that advice, aren't you? You're looking for those answers. <laughs> but but actually, um, you're right. It, it, it's what works for you. I, you know, I, I don't like going, getting in a cold swimming pool. Uh, and my sense of cold is very different to yours. I, I, you know, it's, it's, I just don't like it. Uh, I'm very much in Richard's camp there. I was sat at three o'clock this morning, couldn't sleep, doing a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Because it shut my mind up so that I could just leave it all behind and, and get some rest, you know. And it, it's about doing what works for you. So if, you know, it, it, if as a Geordie you feel you need to take vitamin D so that you don't get rickets, then go for it. It's not going to do you any harm, but don't think it's going to be a panacea any more than methylphenidate is going to be a panacea. It's about what works for you at that time and that can evolve and change as well you know i, I might one day have a, a, a revelationary experience that a cold plunge is is wonderful but i'm not prepared to take that risk just like richard i'd, I'd sooner sit and do my jigsaw um but i, I recognize that it works for you and i, I you're not yeah. the only person that said that you know it, 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 it 
seems to do something for some people and and that's about potentially about the, the the expectation that you have yeah there's a physiological response to to dropping that temperature but but it's about your experience of that and what that means for you that means that you go beyond and i think last week you you talked about that apprehension of plunging but mm. actually the the payback afterwards yeah. um it is is worth it um uh, uh, and it's true of all these different advices. You know, they, 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 there's an endless amount of books you can buy. Um, Jessica McCabe's just about to publish one, isn't she? Yeah. And, you know, so, so everybody has their angle, but none of them are th- the only way of, you know, there, there isn't one way of living with ADHD any more than there's one way of being a human. Um, we, we've we've potentially over-medicalized ADHD so that we can get the benefit of medication when, you know, there's more to the story than that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's, I think that's why this discussion following on from the meds is so important. And you made this, this point earlier when you, when you think about it, Anything that's not medication, we have to look at in a similar way to medication. We have to know what's our expectation before we start. Why have we got that expectation? And then when we try it, whatever it is, and we get an result, it's perhaps not being disappointed if it doesn't quite match up. It's about understanding why didn't it match up or what's changed. Or, you know, one of the things I say mentoring all the time to to my clients is you may find something that you think works brilliantly and it may for three weeks, three months. And then one day you'll wake up, get out of bed, you'll do the same thing and it'll have absolutely no effect and you will have no idea why. Don't panic. Just know that that's time to try something else and then go back to whatever it was at a later date, it's just something I've learned. Things don't, you know, when I say, well, I've done this for a year, I could no more do the same thing religiously for a year, you know, than I could become a nuclear physicist because I, I don't have that habitual element in me. But I know that I can do several months of cold showers and then just for a fortnight think, you know, what? I just don't fancy it. I don't need it. And I recognize that and I, I know how differently I feel. It doesn't mean cold water has broken. It doesn't mean exercise has broken. It just means it's not doing the same thing now in the same way that we said about taking a med. If you want a concentration day, take a med. If you want a creative day, perhaps don't. It's understanding that anything, whether it's something we put in our mouth, something we do, something we think about, there is no definitive. No one else can tell you what you will experience. They can give you an idea, mm. you know. Um, and, 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 you know, we started this podcast, uh, 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 you know, and again, I'm as grateful for you doing it with me uh, as I am to you because I wanted to do this with you because of your background and you and Sarah's experience. But this thing about evidence and and, and sort of trying to, to show the facts has been really important for me. And it comes back to, interestingly, the cold water one, right? As an example, I could go online now, if I go into my save files and pull up pages and pages and pages and pages of research. 
on why cold water is good for certain things. Not one of those pieces of research says anything about its efficacy for people with ADHD. Now, that's A, because there are no studies that have been done specifically on people with ADHD and cold water therapy yet, okay? And B, because I almost guarantee that everyone with ADHD will experience it as uniquely differently as everyone without. Because it doesn't help me concentrate, it doesn't help me focus, it does different things depending on how long I stay in the water, how cold the water is, whether I'm moving, whether I'm swimming, right? That's me, not my wife or someone else. And it's having the ability to see a bit broader. It's having the ability for me to say, I can look at the evidence from, say, Andrew Huberman's podcast that most people tend to refer to or Vim Hoff. It's still general. It's still a guide it doesn't mean it will, it does for everyone. And whatever we talk about, whatever we consider, and again, I'll go back to the coaching, mentoring, even counseling therapy angle here. These should always be suggestions with the caveat of you have to research for yourself. You have to know yourself well enough like you said, to know that you wouldn't want to get in cold water because you don't like it and that's the last thing you'd want to do. Fine, don't do it then. Yeah. No one can tell you you should. It will make you – it doesn't matter, right? But we we have to have the, the I suppose, the level of self-awareness to say, I see that, whatever it is, but do I want to take vitamin D? Need to take vitamin D. There's, a, there's another dimension as well, and that is that something can work for someone with ADHD. Yeah, so it's, whether that be um, a, a non-medical or, or a medical intervention, mm. um, and it, it can make them feel better. It can give them an improvement in, in how they are, whether that's in concentration or mood mm. or whatever. And it, you could you could do a study on lots of people with ADHD, and they'd all see that improvement. But that doesn't mean that it's improving their ADHD. They're having their own improvement. So so it's it's the question is what can I do to improve my ADHD? That's the wrong question. Mm -hmm. the, the the question is how do I make my life better? I know my brain works like this, but there's so much more to me than my attention and my my levels of activity. I'm a human being living in a world that, that has many beauties and many challenges. Mm. Um, so just because something works for people who have ADHD doesn't mean that it is addressing their ADHD. But right, now that brings, me, that brings me on to this then, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong. L-tyrosine? Tyrosine? Uh, okay. Right, now. I knew you were going to raise this. Well, only because I've been looking into this, right? I've seen it. I understand, I think, what it is. So L-tyrosine is a precursor to dopamine. Yeah, so it's a building block. Right. Your, your body translates L-tyrosine into dopamine. That doesn't mean it translates it into synaptic dopamine. Remember those graphs, last, those um, animations last mm. week? You can have that top cell that was full of all those little purple bubbles moving around. Remember those? Yeah, yeah. They can all sit in that cell 
not released and you could have you could put loads of l tyrosine in and fill those up but if not enough is getting released into the where we need it to be in the bottom then then we're not going to see an improvement in attention however if you're deficient in in your diet in the things that sort of are synthesized into L-tyrosine, which then becomes dopamine, then there's going to be too few of those bubbles of of, of, of pink dots. So by taking L-tyrosine, you're, you're restocking. But remember that the, the cell is recycling. All ADHD medications, apart from guanfacine, are preventing the reuptake of dopamine. So there is a recycling process. It's not like you get a, one shot. It's not like petrol. <laughs> that you have to keep topping it up. There is a recycling and a reusing. Um, actually, they, 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 I didn't point out on the, on those um, animations last week. The yellow things um, sitting in in the um, in the synapses are are these um, molecules that break down the um the neurotransmitters serotonin noradrenaline um mm-hmm. dopamine into their constituent parts and actually you can take a bit of bit of dopamine take a bit off there and, uh, and make serotonin out of some of the bits of that so it's, it, it's not like if you take l-tyrosine you are filling up your dopamine tank that, that it's not just about I don't have in, in, you, enough dopamine in my system, therefore I have ADHD. We don't have enough dopamine in our synapses that sit between the brain cells in the prefrontal cortex and other bits of the brain as well. Um, so, so by simply supplementing, you you might address a deficiency in in the building blocks of dopamine, but does that have a direct impact on ADHD? Only if you're malnourished, such that you don't have the ingredients to be able to create your own dopamine. Ah, so yeah, it it it, it potentially could offset some nutritional deficits, um, and would be helpful there. It's the same as um, oh, it's dropped out of my mind. Tryptophan. Tryptophan is a precursor to serotonin. <laughs> And um, it can you can actually prescribe tryptophan, but the evidence isn't as good for that as it is for antidepressants. And it's the same with 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 L-tyrosine. Yes, if there's a deficiency, supplementing it will help just as much as me taking vitamin D will increase my bone density because I live in the northeast. But that doesn't mean it's going to address my ADHD. The, um, I'm scratching my head again because I'm trying to think how best to phrase this question then. Well, I know it's going to be a beauty then. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, right, based on what you've just said, okay, whether it's L-tyrosine or, or anything else, vitamin D, we're talking about if we're deficient. Yeah. If the diet means we're deficient in it, right? That's yeah. what we're saying. I suppose the question I can almost hear people asking if they're watching or listening is, how would I know? How would I know if I was deficient, let's say, in L-tyrosine? Now, is that why perhaps there's a market of products saying, well, it's quote-unquote known to have effects here and here, so take it anyway, better to take it than not. That seems a bit... I don't know. Again, I'm choosing my words really carefully. 
it's <laughs> is there anything wrong in supplementing vitamins and minerals no no if you don't if your body doesn't use that i mean you can you can take excessive doses of vitamin c and give yourself all sorts of cardiovascular problems over long yeah, term sure. but 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 you know if you take a the recommended daily amount of of uh, whatever vitamin or mineral then you're ensuring that you've had that intake but you're not thinking about how much is in the food that you're eating so you're buying those nutrients twice and discarding half of it, throwing half of it away. Potentially, as long as you're eating a balanced diet, it's only if you're not eating a balanced diet that, oh, that you the, the, need the, to supplement. The advice would then be, before you invest in the supplement, look at your diet. Look at, look at where you step. can find naturally occurring L-tyrosine, whatever. Is it likely to be in your diet in enough amounts? And if you think not, as we said, depending on culture, et cetera, then yes, maybe a supplement makes sense, but but it's not a blanket always for everyone again. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not putting petrol in the tank. I think we, we need to, to move beyond and evolve from this understanding of, of low dopamine. It, where is the dopamine low? And, uh, and does that mean that it's low across the board? No, it doesn't. It means that it's not being secreted where it needs to be. Uh, and it's held in other places often, but uh, equally it could be that there isn't enough. But usually, it's because there's 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 not enough of it where we want it to be. Sure. Now there is, and, and I'm sure this will be a, a discussion in its own right in full. But something has just occurred to me. I'm thinking about lots of these things and the packaging I see. And some of the other, so so again, I'll go back to exercise or cold water or, or things that bring you pleasure. Now, a lot of the reason people do these is because what they seem to be doing is help us manage our anxiety, manage our, our stress, for example. And we've mentioned that, you know, there's the trauma part of growing up with ADHD that, you know, it does cause trauma, but there's also that stress and the fact that so many of us live with comorbid anxiety or anxiety disorders. Do you think that the reason people link lots of things together and say, this helps my ADHD is actually because what they're doing more is helping stabilize anxiety. And therefore when we're less anxious, we're more able to, feeling control of everything else as well control is key isn't it it's it's absolutely key because so often in our lives before diagnosis we're not in control we're being criticized so putting that control back that sense of i am doing something we talked last week about the placebo effect like we, we use the, the term placebo effect like it's some kind of a a, a problem that it, that it's a confounding issue and it's not it's it, it's it's a function it's a it's a human response to expectations isn't it and if we if we have a sense of control and purpose in our life um and choice the the, the things feel better Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, you choose to plunge in a, in a cold pool. I choose to sit at three o'clock in the morning doing a Star Wars jigsaw, you know, yeah. and and I didn't get wound up at three o'clock this morning that I wasn't asleep and that I'd be tired today. Yeah. Um, 
I, I was doing what I needed to do to manage the flurry of thoughts that were going on in my mind. Um, yeah. And that is the key, isn't it? It's about finding what works for you. Um, and yes, there's a, there's a whole buffet of, of choice. Um, and, you know, it, it, it might not work for you today. You know, it's so the, the, the big one is organization apps, isn't it? You can, you can buy any number of apps that will deal with your executive dysfunction. Well, it'll only deal with it if you use the app. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, like you know, I, 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 try them all. Try them all. You, you only get out what you put into computer systems, um, yeah. and they work for a bit, and, it, and that helps, and be, but the novelty dies off, and then you don't sustain it. And, it, you know, it's, yeah. it's about your journey as much as, you know, it's my journey and finding that the, the way that I organize myself so that I don't fall over my own feet because of my own disorganization yeah. you know that that's an ongoing project uh, and we all have those ongoing projects and we try things and some of them work for a bit and some of them don't work and some things work for forever more and yeah I, I, I swear by that but but those things are different for everyone and I think that really is the theme of this discussion as as well as to a degree last week the theme of this is <laughs> You've got to do your own experimentation. What works for you might not work for someone else. So it's okay to see online someone saying, this worked for me. You have to take that with the understanding or the expectation that it might not work for you. You can choose to try it. You can choose to put your time, your effort, your money even into it. But you have to go into it open-eyed, going, I am not the person sat there saying, this worked for me, therefore I am me. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you're worse than. It doesn't. It means that doesn't work for you. Go find something else. And it might yeah. be a constant experimentation, mightn't it? Well, it, it might be. It's like looking for a job, isn't it? You, you, you apply for a job, you apply for a job, you get knocked back, you go to an interview, you don't get the job, and then one day you get the job, you're not looking for a job anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah so when, when, you find some, when you find something that works for you, you stick with it. Yeah. And you don't have to look anymore until that doesn't work for you anymore, and then when the job's getting on your nerves, you apply for a range of different jobs and you get another one. You might not get the first one you apply for, but yeah, so... Yeah. You know, it, it, the, this idea that there, there are interventions for ADHD is too reductionist. There, there are ways of being a person. Um, and, yeah, when you're looking for some support with your ADHD, it's a good idea to look for support from someone who understands how your brain works because it is different than, than the typical. Um, so, so people will often say, I want CBT. How do I find a CBT therapist that understands my ADHD? Because if you've got one that doesn't understand your ADHD, no. your therapist is, and yourself are going to clash because yeah, they're yeah, going to be absolutely. asking you to do things that your brain can't do yeah. or will do differently. And, that, you know, it, it, so, yeah, it's, it's finding what's right for you and listening to those cues. There's the word. It's listening to the cues and listening to them. And I think it comes back to the coaching and mentoring again as well. If somebody's going to choose a coach and mentor, the way I would approach it personally, even now is I would look for someone who has got a similar experience of life to me who can understand everything I've gone through. So, you know, maybe they're a parent as well. Maybe they're in a marriage as well. Maybe they're a similar age as me. 
I think it's very important that you look at the person beyond. You know, I used to be a magician. I, 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 I will finish and then let you close, but I'll finish with this analogy, right? I was a magician for years. And there was a running joke amongst all magicians that everyone was an award-winning magician on their website. So all they ever said, award-winning magician. And the joke was, yeah, they were all your 10-meter swimming certificates, but nobody has to know. Right? What does award-winning mean? What does experience mean? What It means different things to different people. And the only way you'll know if the person you're choosing to work with to help you has the experience and the ability that's relevant to you is to ask them, ask for them yeah. to tell them what, what have you done before? How many people have you worked with? What results have you had? Right. You've got to see beyond the <laughs> magic term, smoke and mirrors sometimes again, and everyone can do it, you know, but we have to be cautious because it's our mental health, well-being, expectations, everything that we are handing over to someone. <laughs> And, and often lot. money. And money, yeah. And that's responsibility, <laughs> right? There's a lot of responsibility in that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's I think for me, that's where I would rack up, wrap that up is as a mentor, as that, to say, ask questions. Like this podcast, mm-hmm. ask for evidence. And if I, I think that is that. Look for something else. Yeah, that extends across all interventions. It, it, it's not just about coaching and, and mentoring. It's it's about the psychological therapies. It's about an ADHD prescriber. Um, you know, ask those questions. Get a sense of of who that person is. Um, are they going to listen? You know, you said it earlier. Ninety percent of it is listening. You know, it, it, if you're feeling like you're not being heard, then do you think it's going to change when you've paid a fee? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Better to make that decision before you hand over the card. I I think another important thing you said was that, and you probably didn't register it, but the, the, uh, the awareness that you can get things wrong. Someone being able to say, yeah, I I made a mistake there. I got that wrong. I I misunderstood what you were saying and I've gone down the wrong road. Being big enough to to not have all the answers, I think is, is often a lot better than, than, you know, having, having endless letters after your name and professor this and and doctor that, you know, yeah, yeah. That's a a standardized measure, just like a a coaching qualification. You know, it it is what it is, but it is defined by what, what someone did to, to get that qualification or that yeah. registration you know cqc yeah. registration is enormously complex it took me a year to to get the cqc registration in place and get everything in in the company right to meet those standards um and, and some of those standards we've never yet um hit the need for for those things in place but they're there and when you see when you see CQC registered on on a on a healthcare provider or a social care provider, you know that they've met those standards. Just like when you see, um, you know, doctor, you know that they've they've done a course of study. Um, and it, yeah, it's a bit different in in the world of, of psychological therapies, coaching, and mentoring. But but you know the the qualifications are there, and the qualifications aren't just about certificates; they're about experience. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I, I absolutely agree. And, I think. The, the fact that people come back to you speaks volumes about that. The, 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 there's something yeah. about that experience and that human connection. 
Yeah, I'd like to. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, we don't reduce ADHD to four letters and a, a, a diagnostic formulation. That actually is, it's a, it's a shortcut to describe a lifelong experience. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't define us. We've said this like, privately and in conversations. It bears. Yeah. They say now, ADHD doesn't define us. It describes some of the things that make us who we are, <laughs> right? You are not your ADHD. Your ADHD is a piece of you. Yeah. There's so much more to all of us, and I think it's so easy to get caught up in letting ADHD define you. Um, and, and a lot of this conversation about the other is finding the things that help you remember you are so much more than just your ADHD. It's not to take away from the the challenges, but it's also not to discount your abilities as well. It's not to discount the things that maybe it's enabled you to, to seek or to enjoy. So we are not our ADHD is very important. I think for me. Absolutely. I think your story about your son today really hammers that home. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's capitalized on his strengths and, yeah. and, and has done something that the rest of us wouldn't even begin to think about doing. Yeah, yeah. Build on your strengths. Yeah. Um, Within hours as well. <laughs> right now listen before we wrap up we said we would do this every week which was um we would try and humanize this adhd stuff so while we're on this subject um i asked you last week what what sort of defines you by your adhd and you mentioned forgetting things leaving things so um i i, I was thinking about this while i was uh i was looking at episode one and Actually, I, I'd forgotten how much that had been a part of my previous career, the forgetting things, but typically in a really spectacular way. So I'll briefly share this. I used to teach circus skills as a profession. Don't ask how I got here. Part of my job was having a big transit van full of a fleet of unicycles and tightropes and various other equipment. But I, I performed as a jester and I had series of props that were my high value, need them every job props. And I got booked in, I think it was St. Albans to do St. George's Year Parade. And I did it three years running. On the first year, as I was packing up, I had a habit of, if it was important, I put it on the roof of my van. So it would go in the van last. That was the plan. And the, the duration from the car park of the venue to the M1 was about a mile and a half, but it was all 20, 30 miles an hour. So I'd load up the van, drive off, and I distinctly remember accelerating down the, the ramp to join the motorway and seeing cars in my wing mirrors braking really sharply and thinking, that's weird. Why are they braking there? And then noticing 12 big, and I, when I say big, I mean four-foot diameter hula hoops made from water pipe and trundling off down the motorway and at that point i thought hey, i'm not stopping for that that's they're gone and and just was was pleased nothing had, had happened i thought that's that's just my adhd getting in the way which would have been fine had i not gone to the same venue the year after and had a different high value prop that went on the roof it's just unfortunate that this time 
they were juggling axes that were double-bladed, sort of executioner-style axes, had a two-foot-long solid wooden handle and looked vicious. And they stayed on the roof until I accelerated off the off-ramp. And the same thing happened, apart from this time, it was met with a cacophony of horns and screeching of tires. And I didn't even look in the wing mirrors because I knew something was there. I couldn't remember what it was. And it's only when I got home and I was unpacking the van to go to another gig that I'd said, oh, yeah, I've got these great axes for. And as I went through the van, I went, oh, crap, that I realized that somebody had got the rudest awakening on the off-ramp of the M1 from St. Albans. So, um, yeah, ADHD and lack of attention and, 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 and inattention and just moving at pace. I don't know whether I hurt anyone if it caused an accident. I never saw anything on the news, but those kind of things stay with me to the point now, whenever I get in the car and I stole this from the Holderness family, you can look them up on YouTube because I love this. If you are that kind of a person and you leave things on the roof of your car or you forget them in the car, change the words to the nursery rhyme, heads, shoulders, knees, and toes, and change it to keys, wallet, glasses, phone, because it works every time. Have a little sweep on the roof, have a sweep under the seats, keys, wallet, glasses, phone. I haven't forgotten anything since. So I'll just leave you with that because that's been my saving grace. So so thank you, Penn Holderness, for that. Um Two, yeah. two thoughts there. It's, it's the Blues Brothers testicles, uh, t- um, spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch, isn't it? It really yeah. is. It really is, yeah. And the other thought I had as you were telling that story, wasn't it kind of ADHD to give you the softer hula hoop experience of the year uh, before, before you had to deal with the, yeah. the axes? Because oh, yeah, that yeah, would have yeah. been a difficult conversation with the police if you pulled over in a panic. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, yeah. There, there was, that's why I didn't, because that's what went through my head was. I can't, there's no explanation for this there's nothing to say so i'm going to carry on and 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 that's what insurance is for but it's terrible it, it's just yeah it's one of those wonderful things but um fortunately i sit in front of my desk all day every day now so i can lose far less listen um andrew i i think from my point of view we've covered a an awful lot of ground again. I will say this to everyone that listens. You tell us what are the soft skills you've employed? What are the alternate things you have done that have worked for you? Share it with us. Feel free to, to reach out and you can join the community. Um, however you wish to do it on WhatsApp and even discord, I think now as well, but what works for you? Because sharing is really useful in this world of ADHD. It's not to say it will work, but it might lead someone to try something they've never thought of. So um, please comment on this. And I will say this, please do download the podcast, do subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen to it. Um, The same on YouTube, ring the notification bell and subscribe because it really does all help. Uh, Both Andrew and I want this podcast to grow so we can keep making videos and keep keep delivering this kind of information for you. Um, so yeah, we welcome your comments and, uh, and your contributions as well. And Andrew, anything from you before we say goodbye? Nothing comes to mind, which is often the case, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Press stop. You're like, oh, one more thing. Yeah. True Columbo style. Well, listen, folks, yeah. we will see you again next Thursday. Um, again, this episode will be at, uh, this coming Thursday, so keep your eye on that. 
Uh, but for now, this has been episode two uh, of Talk ADHD. Thank you very, very much. And we really hope it's helped you. See you again very soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>